Jordan and Gretzky, Serena and Ruth Remembering great ones is easy to do But what about the no names who spent their whole lives Long stepping footballs and catching sack flies They're guys, remember that guy some guys now well it's official the scouts from the united kingdom are now the official international anthony santander fan club and they loved it and of course woody's playing london calling on remember that guy the show where we mine our memories from nuggets of nostalgia about peripheral players past and present hey there folks i'm one of your host james coming to you from the mid-atlantic with a transatlantic accent no accents over here. Diaz still with that lovely, vaguely Philadelphia voice you've all come to know and love. Uh, we do have a very special guest with us today. He is the second most famous export from the island of Great Britain. Please introduce yourself. Yeah, you know what? I'm such a mutt when it comes to my ethnicity anyway. Let's just pretend that I'm British too. But actually, we don't have to pretend. We have someone even more special coming to talk with us today. Our darts correspondent. Luke Littler, reporter, and guy who got to watch my Arsenal get crushed last weekend. Please introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Leon. I'm, well, as he said, darts. Luke Littler fan and Rainlands, yeah. So to, to give folks a little bit, first off, I, quick question. Is the number one export from Britain just like the idea of colonialism and exploitation? <laughs> it seems that way. It's, no, it's tea. <laughs> He's not yeah. from Britain. <laughs> it doesn't matter. When I go, when I go to my favorite British specialty store in New York City, which is called Tea and Sympathy, and it's got a companion restaurant called Assault and Battery, that is where I get tea from. I mean, that one's pretty good. So to give folks some background, our dear friend Leon is joining us. He is uh, a friend of mine initially through the Camp America program. If you never heard about that. Summer camp doesn't like exist anywhere but the United States. And so a lot of the time, the United States imports counselors from other parts of the world and they come and spend a lovely summer seeing what we have to offer. And sometimes they seek out individuals in the area they're staying and ask for help in getting to sporting events because they want to see it. And I had the pleasure this year of taking Leon and another friend of ours to an Orioles Yankees game. He fell in love with that. He has since fallen in love with the show, and we are happy to welcome it on to make this officially an intercontinental podcast. We've had some Canadian love already, but we have finally crossed the Atlantic. So, Leon, welcome to the show. Thank you. So, first European, then. Well, first, yeah, first European. Yeah, there we go. First European. Um, we yeah. are trying to get an Antarctican on. If you know anybody Oof. on like study for like research in Antarctica, if you know love any to hear about the sporting culture there. Well, let's go ahead and get things rolling, friends, with the four of us. Does anyone have anything that is making memories for them this week? Yeah, I got one real quick. This is an oversight on my part, and I need to correct this. I have not talked enough about the current best team in the New York metropolitan area, and that's Gotham FC. For those who don't know, Gotham FC is the NWSL team for the New York, New Jersey region. They play at Red Bull Arena in Harrison. And historically, they've been very, very bad. In 
Their history before this past season, they had made the playoffs three times, including once in the last 10 years. They finished dead last 12th in 2022. And coming into 2023, they wanted to make some moves. They had the first pick in the draft, but Alyssa Thompson was coming out of high school and it was clear that she would only sign with an L.A. team. So they traded the number one pick so Angel City could get Alyssa Thompson. And from there, they ended up making a bunch of moves. They got the second pick, traded it for Lynn Williams. Very good. One of those players that's always on the fringes of the U.S. national team pool. You know, good enough to get called in the camps, but not usually on any major rosters for tournaments. And then with the fourth pick, they drafted Jenna Nicewanger. And they had an immediate turnaround. They finished sixth in the regular season, making the playoffs on goal difference with the last spot. And then they went on a run and won the title over O.L. Reign in a game that is almost more uh, marred by the fact that Megan Rapino tore her Achilles three minutes into the game. If we had a, a nickel for every time that Xavier was watching a game involving a New York football team where someone tore their Achilles like three minutes into the game, we would have two nickels. <laughs> Which isn't a lot, but it's interesting that it's happened twice. <laughs> but after that, Cinderella title, you might be forgiven for thinking that they would rest in their laurels. They have not. This was like the first real year of free agency for the NWSL. And Gotham went all in. People were very confused about how this was possible until they announced today that they just doubled the salary cap to almost $3 million from the previous like $1.4 million. And with that extra cap space, this is who Gotham FC just signed in the past week. Crystal Dunn, one of the starting forwards on the U.S. Women's National Team. You know who she is? That's good. And, and, World, Cup, and World Cup winner. They signed Tierna Davidson. Start one of the starting defenders on the U.S. national team and World Cup winner. And then today, they announced a dual signing of World Cup winner Emily Sonnet and Rose Lavelle. Oh, shit. Wait, they got Rose Lavelle? <laughs> they got Rose Lavelle. <laughs> Two of those four are from O.L. Reign. So they just took the, if you can't beat them, join them. They so added the in, the space, Kevin Durant's. in the space of one week. The defending champion added four starting U.S. women's national team players to their roster. Would Sabrina Ionescu like to join the Las Vegas Aces? Any <laughs> chance that she'd be interested in that? <laughs> hey, you know what? With the PWHL and Liberty, women's sports are looking really, really good in the New York metropolitan area. Like, the chances of a sweep in women's basketball, women's hockey, and women's soccer is significant for 2024. And I just want to make sure that Gotham FC gets a shout out for this absolute insane spending spree and going from worst to first in one year and then having the spending spree. I am glad that you mentioned the PWHL because I was going to say we're remiss if we don't mention that Xavier, our beloved New York PWHLers are currently 1-0. Yes, it's been great. It was a fantastic win. And it's funny. I was looking at a survey that was put out before the start of the season. They were talking about, you know, some of the more interesting things that players had to say. And Abby Roque was noted to be the number one trash talker 
of everyone oh, with eighty with eighty percent of the vote. If you don't know Abby Roque, she is the first indigenous woman to play for the U.S. women's national ice hockey team, and just talks so much shit that everyone knows that if someone's cursing you out, it's Abby Roque. She is already my favorite player on the PWHL New York team that won four nothing in its first game. I want you to picture the big communist Bugs Bunny right now saying our favorite player Xavier our yes. favorite player <laughs> our favorite player I don't want to speak for you you could have liked someone else on the team but oh, if- no, I love dude if you don't know who Abby Roque is that means you are not following the guys of the day which means you listener are missing out I am all about Abby Roque but it's been very exciting but other than the PWHL James what else is making memories for you well Xavier I appreciate you setting me up for one of my favorite little bits which is two nickels I would like to talk about something that happened this last week that involved a lot of two nickels. Because for the second time this year, a coach by the name of Jay Harbaugh did lead their team to the number one spot in their conference. That was at a game where there were exactly two players named Xavier on the field. Appreciate Xavier for pointing that one out. This was also the second time ever that Lamar Jackson has led the Ravens to a 56 point or more beatdown of the Miami Dolphins. And this also means that if I had a nickel for every time that Lamar Jackson won the MVP award, well, I would only have one right now, but very, very soon that nickel would be upgrading to a shiny, shiny dime. And uh, like I said, the Ravens are going to win the Super Bowl, so we don't need to talk too much about that. Instead, I do want to borrow all of your ears for just one moment. You guys like Tetris? Yes, I know what you're going to talk about. I watched this uh, this video. It's so good. Leon Diaz, have you guys, are you aware of the Tetris story I'm about to drop? I think I might know roughly what you're on about. I have seen it. I just want to, you know, shout out Tetris. It's my favorite game that I play for about 15 minutes a year. Every once in a while, you just get that, you know what, let's play a couple levels of Tetris. But I think you're about to tell somebody uh, about somebody that played a few more than a couple levels of Tetris. If you've heard a story about Tetris, dear listener, it's the only one that's been out the last week. Did you know that you can beat Tetris? You can just play so much Tetris that you beat it. This was known theoretically to be quote unquote possible. And just recently with like a tool assisted AI run, someone was able to reach the kill screen of Tetris, but that that doesn't really count as beating it. But then this week in a semifinal match for the 2023 World Tetris Championship, guy by the name of Willis Gibson or Blue Scooty, That is his name on all like streaming platforms and YouTube. He is a 13 year old gamer and this motherfucker beat Tetris. (laughs) So what does that mean? If people have not watched uh, King of Kong or any of the various speed running documentaries, if you haven't watched anything about like summoning salt on YouTube, a lot of the older games have points where just they run out of memory and cannot run the game anymore. It's called a kill screen. And in order to reach that on Tetris, this was thought to be like just a truly impossible feat. You couldn't do it with normal control methods. But the Tetris scene in the past like half a decade has absolutely exploded. There was a big advancement in 2016 called hypertapping. Diaz, if you play for your 15 minutes a year, you probably, like a normal person, hold the arrow to the left when you want something to move to the left, right? Yes, naturally. You absolute buffoon. You should have been hyper-tapping instead. Hyper-tapping is a practice by which guys are expected to tap the button up to 10 times a second because apparently doing that is legitimately faster than just holding it to the left. And then recently, people have started rolling their controllers where they flip the controller upside down 
and and like play it with the D-pad against a surface. Xavier's a little bit more into the gaming scene. He might be able to explain that somewhat better. Yeah, so it's flipped over, but your hand is underneath it. So that when you're tapping on the back, it's hitting against your hand and, uh, and already tapping back. So that one press equals two presses because you're okay. essentially hitting it on both sides at the same time. Hey, so they Xavier, held up you should, to the side like this. You should work for Polygon or Kotaku because you've literally just explained that concept better than any of the people I've read articles about this for the last week. But I appreciate it. I watched, I watched the 17-minute video on it. So that's probably why. I, well, and if you can watch that 17-minute video short. Or you can go to the YouTube page for Blue Scooty and watch the entire thing as he does it. When he hits six minutes and 33 seconds, he gets to the 999,999 score. Like it, it doesn't roll any higher than that. He keeps going though. He doesn't hit the kill screen till 38 minutes and 30 seconds. There are 32 minutes where he's basically just in a level of Tetris that the numbers within the game cannot fathom. The level names that are being shown are like 2A, 6E, X4. The, the game struggling so badly to keep up with this 13-year-old who does eventually, after placing... Anyone want to guess how many pieces he clears during this game? How many lines he clears? Not lines. I looked up how many pieces he clears because it gives you a count of funny. what you've gotten on the left the entire time. So each level is 10 lines to clear. And I know he was 157, but with pieces... I'm going to say... Over 9,000. 69,000. You're, you're, oh, Xavier went far too high. No, so it's huh. a little bit more than 500 for each individual piece, somewhere between 500 and 600 for each piece, totaling 3,795 tetrominoes that he cleared during this game. Unfathomable, clearly to even the game itself. I really enjoyed watching this. I will admit, like, you know, you could skip through a lot of it. Much of it is just the same Tetris for a long period of time. But watching him against his competitor early on, and then like the last six minutes, he even said like after minute 30, it was just this totally tapped out blur that he was taking part in. Yeah, man, it's just so The children are our future. It's beautiful to see. One thing I do want to add just from the video, and I do want to give a shout out to a game scout, uh, who is the person who made this video that had a ton of background. It's got three and a half million views already in just a couple days. The kill screen was thought to be level 29 for the longest time because that's when you couldn't get past it because it was too fast. That's when hypertapping was invented. And then after rolling was invented, they were getting up to the 40s and 50s. And then at a certain level, the memory causes glitches in NES Tetris, which is what this is, to the point where the colors get all messed up. And there was a level called charcoal where the colors were black and white and gray and you couldn't actually see them. Yeah. So they were just, you would just had to kind of guess where you're moving stuff at hyperspeed. And after they were able to get past charcoal, the goal became to try to find a time like where it's the actual kill screen where the game itself just dies. Now they know that the earliest you can kill screen it is, is at level 155. Blue Scooty killed it at 157. And there is talk now about trying to see if you can work with the game to avoid any of the clears that would cause a kill screen. They found with machine-assisted speedruns, the furthest you can possibly get before the game resets to level one is level 255. But to do that, you that have to... That makes sense, okay. 
you have to clear every level without accidentally triggering a clear that would cause the game to kill screen. So that is apparently the next goal for the Tetris community is to get to 255 without causing the game to kill screen itself. But it, it it's so interesting. I, I highly recommend watching the video. Again, it's a game scout uh, who posted that. Well, I will bring us back from the virtual screen and into real life with physical objects and specifically balls being put into 10 foot high baskets. I was going to talk about Caitlin Clark. I don't want to do that to her because I don't want to infect her with our jinx. As we established on the last episode, congratulations to the Detroit Pistons. It really took all of the stars aligning for that to happen, did it not? If the trade happened the day earlier and Emmanuel quickly and RJ Barrett had landed in Toronto already, Toronto would have won that game. I think the question is really who wins more games this calendar year now, San Antonio or Detroit? Do we get any more head-to-head matchups? That's a good question here. Give me one sec. Don't forget about the Wizards. The-, the Wizards only win when it's against those two. So, January 10th and April 14th, we have our two matchups remaining for the Pistons versus Spurs, one of which will be coming the week you listen to this. So in just two short days, dear listener, we look forward to that big matchup. But I didn't want to curse Caitlin Clark. At this point, this person is immune to curses. They've been infected with so many that I don't feel any ill will or negativity can be brought forth by discussing. Ladies and gentlemen, Joel Embiid won the MVP last year, and he is better this year. And he's not even just a little bit better this year. He is a lot better this year. Across the board, all of his stats up. Points up. Rebounds up. Assists up. Blocks up. All of his efficiency metrics are up. He's currently having the greatest season by PER of all time. Normally, in previous years where Nikola Jokic was better at the statistic, I said it was bullshit. (laughs) Now I think it's great. I think it's an awesome statistic. The only stat that is not up for him is his minutes, which are down because he is sitting entire fourth quarters while posting 30-point triple doubles. What are we doing? None of it matters until he does it in the playoffs. At this point, it's obvious. And like, I'm not getting as much joy from this as I normally would because I do know that that fact is ultimately true. At the end of the day, he has to do it in the playoffs. But good Lord, Pat Bev said on his podcast that if Embiid continues this pace for the rest of the season, it's the greatest individual season that a player has ever had. And it's really only a little bit crazy that he's saying that. I'm not going to say it's not crazy, but it is not as crazy as you think it is. For Pat Beverly, it's a pretty sane statement. I also love Pat Beverly. He oh, needs, yeah. I, he needs to career as a sexer. Like, he should spend his next five years here. He should be our Udonis Haslam. And, like, just once a year, he comes off the bench to harass another team's starting point guard and get them both ejected. Um, First ballot holler guy. I love Patrick Beverly. And I love Joel Embiid. It's, it's, it's been beautiful. The Sixers, of course, right on track for that two or three seed. We're going to face the Bucks or the Celtics in the second round. You can kind of just like, you know, set your watch to it and check back in in May. But for now, the MVP is better. And he's making beautiful memories. Enough about all of our memories. We have brought you on, Leon, so that you can share a guy that we will remember. But before we do that, is there anything that is making memories for you right now across the pond? 
Yeah, so um, recently I've been on a bit of travelling. So I've been to four football games in the span of a week. First one in Exeter faced Wickham Wanderers. And we won 1-0, which is the first one we've had since September. And, well, a teenager did score that goal with 19-year-old Sonny Cox. And then on the Friday after, we played Portsmouth at home again at St James's Park with a 0-0 draw. Bit of a cagey game, but still we take a point from that game and move on to when we would play next. But before that, I went to another game, which was in London. I watched Xavier's phone. Uh, no, Xavier's Arsenal, sorry. Play against Fulham. I was in the home end, which was a two-on win for Fulham. Very, very good game. Could have gone either way. Honestly, that one could have gone either way. I think Xavier can back that one up as well. You don't have to be nice to him just because we're... Yeah, you don't have to be nice on this one. You can talk some shit on Arsenal. We do. I don't don't think Arsenal played that well in that game. I think it was a much worse performance than even their 2-0 loss against West Ham in midweek. Craven Cottage looks great, though. I would love to go to Craven Cottage at some point. It's it's a lovely stadium. Lovely old school as well. Very old school stadium. Then New Year's Day, I went over to Reading to watch Reading Exeter, where very good game, but Exeter lost that game 3-2. Bit annoying, but we moved on from that. So that's in my memories for this week. Just overall, lots of football. Again, I'm probably the most limited football scope here. That does feel like a lot of goals to see just in general in a one-week span. Well, some games you can see seven or eight in one game. I'll say that now. I've seen games where it's ended 4-3, 3-2, so there are some very high-scoring games, but it's not very common. And, and to be clear, when you say we, you are referring to Exeter, correct? Yes, yeah. That's how English people normally speak about their clubs, as we, as we feel like we're all as a community and kind of join into that one team. Do you get what I mean? Absolutely. So I think that is a brainworm that has affected America as well. We have a very bad habit of saying we with our clubs, but yeah. if you don't mind, that actually leads into a topic I would really like to broach with you before we get in. And maybe Xavier and Diaz, you have some, some questions about this too. You are coming to us from a much more, you know, parochial sports landscape where you guys have that much closer local connection to something. And I've remarked here that, like, I do think that that is something that is fundamentally different between America and the UK. And since you've seen American sports, I guess I'm just curious about what your thoughts are, you know, having been in a stadium here where it's like you came to a Yankees game. There might have been like four people in that stadium actually from New York City, like who live within walking distance of the Bronx. And honestly, that's still probably a bit of an exaggeration. Even most of the Orioles fans probably weren't from Baltimore City. So I guess what what does that difference between the two sporting cultures? With like English sports, people like to keep it like with their local team. But for me, that's Exeter. But for someone in London, that could be Arsenal, Chelsea. Um, Crystal Palace. There's some play, some fans. Sorry, they'll choose who they want to support. That's also fine, but they're not seen as like bigger fans than the people who go to the local games, go and support their local team. 
But with America, as you said, people might go travel miles to see their favorite team and be closer to a different team. What's what's the furthest you've ever gone to a game? I'm just kind of curious, like, because I guess the furthest I've gone for a game is going to Boston and New England for a couple O's and Ravens games up there. I don't know about you, Well, you, Diaz, and Xavier have driven to Texas for an NCAA championship. Yeah, that was that that wasn't immediately their team. That that was was a 24 hour drive, so. I still can't get over how perfectly we timed that because like we literally leave, don't really go to a hotel and we pull up like 30 minutes before the first game. I've got the exact amount of miles I traveled to go to a game. Bear in mind this is England, it's much smaller than America. I traveled 332 miles to go and watch a football game. That's probably, yeah, Um, that's probably about the distance to Boston for me. So that's it on the UK map. I'm down in this corner of the country. And it is up there. I went to go and travel. So, listener, we're going from, like, the southwest corner of the island up to just kind of where the, the neck is. Yeah. I was simply looking for from down right in the southwest of the country all the way up to the border of Scotland. That's how I can put it as in words. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's that's pretty far. And I hear so much about the fan culture in the UK. And one of the things that I find extremely interesting as something that could never fly in America is like the 3 p.m. Saturday blackouts where... I don't get that at all. I don't get it at all. I don't see why they do it, honestly. Probably to make more people actually go to the games, making the cross more money. But if that's what they're doing, I just don't think it's good. Because if they can't afford to go to a game, why then punish them? That's definitely the thought that Americans have when they when they learn about that. But from everything I've seen, just the UK seems to be very protective of that 3 p.m. time slot. And they always say that it's because of lower league teams. They want people to go support the lower leagues. Yeah. Well, that is something that I am very envious of. Like, we as a group have gone to a couple minor league games. I loved going to minor league games as a kid. And, like, you know, there are beautiful communities around those. But, like, you, you're not going to see the Wilmington Blue Rocks make it to the major leagues ever. You might see someone from the Wilmington Blue Rocks. go, So you might like follow someone that was in your local area go on. But I think that's kind of the, the best point on why I was interested in your take in guys. So I'm interested hearing your perspective about guys this week, because with those local teams, like if you've got a player that's there, you know, it's just as likely as Xavier said in the uh, guy of the year awards, the team might move up and down just as much as a player does and that's that's just an angle that we don't get to live in here i mean thankfully as an orioles fan there is not relegation but still yeah which Exxon might be facing this season but hope not but it's a possibility at this point which is just annoying to see i've seen us in league two for 10 years since I was eight, we've been in the same league, playing the same opposition week in, week out. And when we did go up, I saw my first League One games, which is really nice to see, really. Once you get up, new opponents, fresh start, basically. Fresh um, rivalries, I feel like, is the, the other cool thing that we kind of miss out here in uh, America. Like, Baltimore will hate Pittsburgh forever. Baltimore's never going to get a chance to, like, all of a sudden hate Roanoke, Virginia. For some fucking reason. I mean, I hate most of Virginia, but that's completely unrelated to sports. Well, teams normally stick with to one rival. 
With Exeter, it's Plymouth. That's a huge rivalry in the southwest. Same with the Bristol, Bristol City, Bristol Rovers. But then you can have Exeter City and Bristol Rovers kind of counts as a derby. Bristol Rovers, Swindon. You can have quite a few combinations of different rivalries, really, with different clubs. Yeah, that's one of the things with Newcastle. Like, Sunderland was up when we went down, and then when we went up, Sunderland went back down. So because of that, we haven't been in the same league in, like, I think it's seven years. So our derby, which is happening Saturday, which is two days before this episode comes out. So get those horns ready, James, because I have the Geordies pulling it out. 2-0 at the Stadium of Life. Oh, you're giving us a score in everything. Oh, wow. <laughs> Who nil at the Stadium of Light? It'll be nil nil going into halftime. It's going to be very nervy, <laughs> but we're going to pull it out. So specific. How way the lads? I mean, well, you're very playing oh, how way the lads? Not how way the lads. How way is how those um, Macam scum say it? Okay, so I, I'm learning. I'm always learning. But um, you will be playing against a. Very promising English youngster who has a very good older brother. Is Joe Bellingham with yes. his brother being Jude. Yes, the younger Bellingham. Yeah. So he's playing for Sunderland. Watched him play. He is very promising. He is very promising. Could go on to play in the Prem in the next two, three years, I think. I like Jack Clark too. I think he's going to be really good. That's also that's um the idea that with European football, if a a lower level team has this young promising player, it's so interesting to me that because like in American sports, we're like oh, build the entire club yeah, around this guy, lock him up, lock lock him up keep him forever. Nope. But with the the transfer system, often it's most advantageous for that club to then sell him and then have mm-hmm. the salary to be able to support the rest of the team. Exactly. So what happens with young promising players? Sometimes the club will keep them and say, look, we're going to keep on developing them. Then maybe sell. But sometimes they'll go, let's cash out with him now and then buy more players, bring in more players, or spend that players on building more. And I'm sure he had made. There are so many North American sports owners that can never learn about this. Like, clearly Stan Cranky did, and that's a problem. We cannot let the rest of them find out about this system. Yeah. So, the difference is with you guys, I think, you trade straight players, if I'm correct. Whereas most often. With, yeah, with yeah. some exceptions. But most of the time, with Europe, it's trading players for cash and then cash going to players. Or sometimes it can be a straight swap, like what in North America is more used to. We are now going to take the North American part out of our brains as much as possible. We don't need to care about that for a little bit. We have brought you on for this perspective on guys from that other side. We want to hear what Gaida means to the fans of the other side of the ocean. And so without further ado, let's, let's clear the floor and allow you... That's, that's a basketball term. Uh, we want to clear the floor, let you cook for a little bit. What have you got for us today, Leon? Today I have an Irishman who played most of his career in the Premier League, most notably for Man United. From County Cork Island, his name is Roy Keane. Ooh. 
Yeah. I'm guessing by that date they know who he is. Yes, I, I know Roy Keane very well. But yeah. I would like James to learn who, about Roy Keane. I, I have um, read the name Roy Keane before. I have seen that name. I have zero other information. My extent of the knowledge is from Ted Lasso, of course. I, I assume most yeah. listeners have seen Ted Lasso. A lot of the players have parallels to real life, and I know that Roy Kent is based on Roy Keane. Roy so, like, that's, that yes, is yes. the image I have. So, Roy Keane was born on the 10th of August in 1971 in County Cork, Ireland, to parents Marie and Maudrice Keane. He played as academy football for a Sunday league side in County Cork, Ireland, called, I may be butchering the name, Hogberg uh, Co- Ramblers. Very odd name, but he spent one year. I don't know how to say it. I'll tell you how it's spelled C O B H. I just Cobb, to be honest. <laughs> beautiful language. We're going to go with Cobb. <laughs> with, I like Cobb. Um, he went to Cobb Ramblers in the first opinion of Irish football, where he played one year there. And. He then played 23 games from the Centre Park, which is different terms for sentiment, basically. This then earned him straight to the Premier League, only in his second season of a professional footballer. This was a £10,000 move to the club Nottingham Forest, who at the time were playing in the Premier League. That's the name yeah. I struggle with the most in Premier League, just because I, I can't not want to make Robin Hood jokes every time it comes up. <laughs> Enough about Wolverhampton Wanderers. That must be quite confusing one for you. Wolverhampton. Honestly, then, not as funny as Nottingham Forest. There's just something about really? a team being named after where Robin Hood is from that, that really tickles me. He spent three years there, racking up 144 appearances with 22 goals whilst getting six yellow cards in that time. But this was in the um, 90s. Or aggressive than it is today, basically. Not many cards were shown in that kind of era of football. But I was going to say, the six seems low based on the reputation that 14. I know. Yeah. His era-adjusted yellow cards plus is way, way higher, Diaz. <laughs> if you've ever yes. watched like highlights from the 90s and even the early 2000s, they were sliding in two-footed all the time. One of Patrick Vieira's like signature challenges was sliding around and essentially hooking his leg in front of a player and taking the ball and the man out very, very like roughly every time. But that was a totally clean challenge at that point. Well, and, yeah. and this is the same time as like still having hand checking and like in football having VHS tapes of clips that are described as bone crunching hits, right? This was basically that kind of time in football. That was happening once every two or three games where a player would just get crunched and they would go down for quite a minute. This was just the kind of football it was this time. It was common for that to happen. Oh, also, during his time at Nottingham, he was arrested twice whilst playing for Nottingham in three years. You add that on to the yellow cards, and yeah, now he's yeah. Like vastly outperforming his points. Yeah, he's been arrested twice at this point. Fights outside nightclubs in Nottingham, which... Normally, no professionals really go out here. They normally are very strict about what they do with their clubs. So, But then, after he was at Nottingham Forest, 
he was then spotted within those three seasons by a Manchester side in Manchester United. This is where he was most known for. He got in the summer window of 1993 for £3.4 million, which I don't know what that is in dollars as a conversion rate. This so, is £3.2 million and you said 2003? £3.4 million in 1993. Oh, 93. Yeah, so a lot of money at the time. Oh, fuck, I'd have to convert pounds to dollars for us in 93. I do not have the patience for that much math. <laughs> it's, a lot. It, it's a lot. It's, especially at that time. it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's like 10 million. Lots of money. Yeah. At first, he, even with the large amount of sum that they were paying for him, Sir Alex Ferguson, first at the club, said he might not even make the first team. But... Then, in the second game of the season, he made a debut in a 2-0 win against Nottingham Forest, where he played all 90 minutes. 90 minutes was much more regular for a player to do than it is nowadays. Most times when tackles would go in, they would just try and run it off, and they would have, like, two or three subs, whereas now it's five. He was part of a very young squad at this time. Not even the youngest player at 22 in the starting lineup. Probably off the top of my head, David Beckham would have been the youngest at 19 at this time, or 18 or 19. This was whilst the class of 92 were there, if any of you know. The Nevilles, right? That class. Skulls, Gold, Nevilles, yeah, Nicky Butt. And yes, James was fine. Nicky Butt was an actual name. <laughs> Hell yeah. In that season, they won the league. So in the first season of him being at United, they won the league, which was quite common for United to win the league at this time, being the powerhouse of football at this point. Are you laughing at the name, James? No, I just love the way that you say, oh yeah, that's when they won the league. It's so common. I mean, they like were the, the powerhouse the nine... of football. I know, it's, it's 90s, 2000s Yankees. That's what I, that was the exact analogy I was going to make. It's the Yankees, it's the Bulls, it's Man United. Bulls is probably a more one that was known out in the UK right. for that kind of reference as well. Being Muggs Jordan, Scotty Pippen, Dennis Rodman. Much it's, better it's, example than the Yankees. <laughs> well, I mean, studies have been done on just the influence of those 92 Olympics on basketball in Europe. Like, I mean, that... Michael Jordan was known in, like... I, I saw a thing on the... Um, when they did the 30 for 30 documentary... Like he's he's on billboards in France uh, during that last yeah. run with the Bulls. It's 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 incredible. He was very well known over here. Still is. A lot more basketball's gone over to Europe since those early nineties, late nineties runs had just got brought over, and now games are being played here as well. Nice to see, as some NBA fans I... might live over here. USA men's national team is playing in London the next few months. Diaz, have, have we had like a truly British NBA player yet? Luol uh, Deng was British. Yeah, Luol Deng's probably your closest bet. Okay. Um, but the one thing I did want to say is, as I understand it, the best team in the BBL historically is your Newcastle Eagles. They've changed their name. Go Birds, man. <laughs> no, no, no. It is Newcastle, isn't it? Yeah. That would make a lot of sense. They are a very, very good team. But my local basketball club in that league... Either Turf Albion or Bristol Flyers. So that's okay. 
my kind of two teams. Well, speaking of very good teams, my apologies for all these digressions. Let's get back to Manchester United and Roy Keane. So, that season, they won the league with 92 points, only losing four games, drawing 11 of them, and winning 27 games in the season. Which isn't a record, actually, for the league, even though it's so impressive, only losing four games in the season. It has been beaten quite a few times, actually. In 1994, they came second in the league to an outlier in this kind of era. Blackburn Rovers, they uh, lost the league to. That was the SAS line. Shearer and Smith, was it? Yeah. Was it a blip like Leicester City or was it like a team that had been lurking for a while and just kind of had their breakthrough that year? Blip. Yeah. They then sold Alan Sheriff for a lot of money to Newcastle. Again, this idea of selling your star players, like I know we have trade-offs now, but that normally comes at at the last expense. ah, It's crazy. Then again, some teams can just offer so much money to another team that's pretty much impossible to turn down. Like, so at this time, I think the record's like 125 million or something. It's insane how much these players can go for. But back on to the story about the guy Roy Keane. In this year, he scored two goals and four assists from sentiment, which you don't really expect sentiments slash CDMs to really score that many, so actually all right for CDM to do that in a season at that time. He got seven yellow cards in 25 games, starting 23 of the games. This wasn't very common for them to lose out, really, to a team that had the um, blip. So they went on to the 1995-96 season, where he was able to score six goals in 29 games with six yellow cards in a season. But this is the season where he started getting his red cards for two this one season. Red cards are normally given out at this time for really heavy challenges that can injure a player quite easily with these kind of challenges, but they can be given for two yellow cards and that can equal a red card. And just for context, when you get a red card, you're either suspended for one game or three games. So, what would be an example of that for? Technical foul would be the best, or what's the one that Draymond's always getting? So, yeah, if you get in NBA, if you get two techs, then okay. you're then you're out for that game. So that would be like getting two yellow cards. But we don't really have a equivalent to violent conduct or a straight red giving you an automatic three games. We like we don't ha- really have anything like that in American sports. Yeah, you can be ejected, and any of the leagues can follow up with a suspension afterwards, but, like, the ref can't yeah. give you a suspension on the spot. Yeah, the ref can here. Basically happened quite a few times this season for players. I can't think of any examples right now, but players have been suspended for three games just from one tackle before. But then we go back to the normal in 1995-96, where they won the league. They got 25 wins this season, in this season, drawing seven of those and losing six. This was an 89-point season for them, so 
they were a very good season, but like I would say, ninety point seasons are, are very uncommon and are brilliant, and they think they achieved quite a few of these. Then we went on to the 96-97 season, where he got five yellow cards and another red card in 21 games they played. Scored an assist two in the season when they won the league again. No shock. It was a 75-point season. 21 wins, 12 draws and five losses. This wasn't a brilliant season, but still enough to win them the league, which... Is always very good for a team to win the league. This will add more trophies to their cabinet. And this would normally at this time make owners want to invest more into the team. So, One thing also that does kind of carry over the Atlantic, we do also enjoy winning championships here. Like it's, it's yeah. just as good here in America <laughs> as it is in the UK. Promise yeah. you on that. Yeah. And at this point, the Premier League's been around for f- five years and Manchester United has won it four times. The only time they didn't was when they finished second to Blackburn. Oh, right, because this is one the first yeah. time that it's actually like the Premier League, right? Yeah, Premier League started in 92-93. Yeah. Cool, yeah. cool. So I totally is, forgot as, that element of it. Yeah, so this is early on in the Premier League era, as they call it now. But before that, anyone and everyone won. Even, like, at this time, Bolton were in the Premier League, who are now a League One club. Teams can go up and down so easily from this kind of era to now, really. And some teams have gone completely bust as well, which you never want to see, really. Going on to the 1997-98 season, where they lost the title again to Arsenal. Arsenal. Yes, they did. Only losing up by one point, though. He played nine games in this season. I found out. Did he get arrested again? I don't know. This I think he was hurt reason. that year. Oh, oh, no, I know what it was. So, he tore his ACL when he tried to kick Erling Holland's dad, Alfie Inga Holland, in a... Uh, get back to that one. I'll get back to that Injured in trying to injure somebody else? Yeah. I'm thing. starting to warm up to this soccer thing here. <laughs> But yeah, I'll get back to that one later. Because that one spirals to something much bigger. <laughs> so, so he got injured in the season. But in those nine games, he still scored two goals. Very impressive to score two goals in nine games as a CDM. And got three yellow cards in nine games. Which is one yellow every three games. It's still more than he has points. Yeah. Then we move on to the 1998-99 season. A very good 35 games in the season. Close to the maximum you can play in the season, really. Which is 46. We missed out 11 games. He scored two goals and eight yellow cards in this season. They took the league title back off Arsenal with 79 points. Once again, only a one-point difference between the two teams. They would also go on to win the domestic treble in this season, which has only ever been done one other time. Uh, yeah, which, that was that's the continental treble because that was the FA Cup, Champions League, league title. And, 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 and league title. 
which City just did last year to to match yeah. them. I mean, only other time it's been done by an English team two times with the Manchester derby. So that was going to be my next point, really. Only ever done other times by City. So only the city of Manchester has ever managed to do that. Do they get to lord yes. that over the rest of the island? It's mostly they do that over the other team. So they'll say, oh, we won the treble. But then Manchester United also won the treble. So they will go at each other saying we both won the treble. That's basically all that happens. They will go at, they won't go at all the teams. They'll mostly go at just at one team at a time. The way I envision the Manchester United, Manchester City dynamic is like if we were to go forward about 20 years in time and the Mets are just cleaning up baseball now. Like, yeah. the Yankees still have this time right now where they get to make fun of them for thinking they're rich and able to buy everything. But eventually they will they be do. able to be rich and buy everything. I would love it if we could just let New York fight amongst itself forever and the rest of the country could enjoy baseball. <laughs> That'd that be great. basically what England is. Right. <laughs> that northwest kind of corner of the country is just fighting and... The rest of the country. We're, we're all that games. one dude ripping a rig as the two girls go at it in that <laughs> Just watching from the sideline. The most dominant clubs at the moment. Probably Liverpool, Man City, Man United have dropped off a lot. And at this point, I would probably say Arsenal are very dominant at the moment. Nearly won the league last season. They were looking like they were going to run away with it for the new year. But then the fun game happened, and they slipped down to fourth within a week. So it wasn't great for them, but that can still be recovered. Tables can chop and change every single week in football. Like one week, one team can be third, first, then they can go down to fifth. It's insane how sport works, basically. But then... The 1999 into 2000, so about the millennium now. This season, the team hit a brilliant milestone of 91 points. Roy Keane got 29 appearances, 5 goals, 1 assist, 7 yellow cards, and another red card. Taking up to 3 or 4 at this point in his career. At this point in time, the game of football kind of changes a little bit becomes a bit more technical where players are starting to get faster more skillful and a bit weaker I would say but at this time he was kind of a bully of a player as he was a hard-hitting CDM go through anything and try and get through anything he could it would basically go on a winning streak at this point they would win two and come third in 2002. That was Arsenal again. 2001, 2002 was, was Arsenal? Arsenal. Yep. Yeah. Is this still like so, Thierry Henry Arsenal? So this was these, just before Thierry, I think. So 2001, 2002, that was Thierry. The 97, 98, that was before Thierry. So that one okay, was so now Bird, we got young that, that was Bird Camp and Eon Wright. This 2001, 2002, that was the Thierry Henry. Uh, yeah. Season. 
in these three seasons, he would play a total of 77 games, scored five, assisted 13. Yellow carded 10 times in these three seasons and being sent off three times in three seasons. One of these red cards would have been on a Nordic striker from Man City, who would be Alfie Harland. 2003-2004 is where we would then be introduced to a teenager from Madeira, an island off the coast of Portugal. Maybe you guess who that is. Cristiano Ronaldo. Yes, this is where he joins Class of 92 and Roy Keane in a very strong team at this point in time. But despite that, they get beat by Arsenal in what many football fans will call the Invincibles team, where they didn't lose a single game the whole season, which hasn't been done since. The mega team of Pierre Henry and Vieira took the league by scrubbing the net and just beat every single team. It's so impressive that they can even do that and one of the biggest achievements they can possibly have in football. It's like, it would probably be similar to a basketball team winning like 16, drawing about 22 games or something. It's, it's that kind of season that would happen. It's very, very rare. In that season, they'd finish third behind Arsenal and Chelsea, who were very good at this point in time as well, with Didier Drogba. He would finish that season with 28 appearances, three goals, three assists, with only two yellow cards in this season. So, much better than the usual... In the 2004-2005 season, the team would once again finish third. This time, in second place Arsenal and first place Chelsea. Chelsea only lost one in that season, which was once again very close to being Invincibles. There were two Invincible seasons two times in a row. Very close to it. Not quite, though. The team had former guard of the day, Petr Cech, in it. And... Ivorian striker Didier Drogba, who is a very good player in this kind of era. He played 31 games this season, not scoring at all in this season, but assisting three goals and nine yellow cards in one season. So, <laughs> loving the ratio again. More yellow cards than goals and assists combined, which didn't really happen that often. As long as your name is in the score sheet somehow. That's what I've always said. Very true. The 2005-2006 season is where his story as Manchester United player would come to a end, pretty much. He would play five games this season. Then he would move to Scottish club Celtic to play his last two seasons as a professional football player. In this time... In the years 1991 to 2005, he also played for Ireland, where he racked up 67 appearances and scored nine goals for his country. So that was my guy uh, inducted. Well, hopefully, he'll be inducted. We hope he's inducted. 
Uh, I love you, yeah. Diaz, mentioning the ratio. So I, I wanted to take a quick peek at a football reference. Hey, everyone, sports reference in general. It's a great website, family. Of his 14 seasons, how many seasons do you think he finished with more yellow cards than points? Combining goals and assists. Yes, yes. Total points, goals, and assists. Every single one. I'm say, I'll say, I'll, I'll say nine. I was about to say nine as well. So it's eight out of 14. So both of you are oh. very, very close, except for you, Xavier. Uh, yeah, eight out of 14, including a run of six straight. Here's the thing. In that run of six straight, they do win four titles. And in fact, of all of the domestic titles he has, which in the Premier League, I see a count of seven altogether. Yeah. Five of those were won in seasons where he had more yellow cards and red cards combined than goals and assists. I'm just saying, look, he knows what his role is. And when he's performing his role at a high level, the team is performing at a high level as well. So I do love to see that. I have two cultural questions, both for you and for Diaz and Xavier to help me, the, the newbie with this. One, I'm curious, you touched on a little bit there, his international career. I am aware that there is often friction between Irish nationals and English crowds. So I wonder if there's anything kind of that went on with that in his career. The other thing, and this is something I think just Diaz and Xavier can kind of help me interpret. This does seem like a lot of points from a largely defensive player. I need you all to help me understand, is he too good to guy? I think he was more like just, we call it a Brexit player where he would just slide tackle anyone. At this point, <laughs> he would just, he would slide tackle anyone. I'm saying this now. Him and Pat Vieira, he would literally slide tackle anyone. He would even probably slide tackle a goalkeeper if it came to it, which he, is just insane to think. He's a 12 year old playing FIFA for the first time, and all he can hit is that square. But... Yeah. Yes. So I have something to add real quick. James, for both of those things, one, there's one thing with this international career that I think is important to, to mention is there's a Wikipedia page for something called the Saipan incident. This is when... There, so to be clear, a full page, not like a section in Roy no, Keane's page. Full page, if you Google Saipan incident, S-A-I-P-A-N, and this was in the lead-up to the 2002 World Cup, which was South Korea and Japan. Roy Keane got into a massive argument slash fight with his manager, Mick McCarthy, because Ireland was preparing for it in Saipan, in the Northern Marianas Islands. And it caused such a massive blow-up that Roy Keane got sent home prior to the World Cup and did not participate in Ireland's magical World Cup run, which included Robbie Keane scoring in at a time against Germany. And, and just to clarify, has... the two guys with the R.O. Keane, not related there, right? No. Not it's related. It's just like not John Smith aware, and Joe so. Smith. Cool. And then the other one is, so Roy Keane, if we lived in the UK, I'd say he could be too good to guy. He was one of the original eight inductees into the Premier League Hall of Fame, whatever that means. Yeah. But he doesn't. He didn't have the same like international cachet as a David Beckham or a Steven Gerrard or a Thierry Henry because he's a gruff guy who many considered kind of an asshole. Yeah. So he he didn't have the same type of like being beloved internationally because you know you have to be beloved by your club team or your international team or both 
But he joined United when they had the class of 92, and everyone liked Giggs and Beckham and Scholes better than Keane because, you know, they came up through the system and he was a purchase. And in Ireland, he had so much friction with the Irish FA that he wasn't super beloved there either, culminating with the Saipan incident. So if you just look at his contribution on the pitch, maybe. But the fact is that because of his personality and his maybe his, his style of play, he's he was never like someone that you could say he was truly beloved and got that type of worldwide recognition that would make him, I think, too good. I think he is a guy. I definitely think he's a guy is what I'm trying to say. Okay. Diaz, what do you feel about Roy Keane? No, I think he is, like, I would, if we're going to continue with our Chicago Bulls analogy, I don't think he's the Michael Jordan. I don't think he's the Scottie Pippen. He's more of, like, the Dennis Rodman. He's the um, Okay, this is where I thought we were going when you started saying Bulls. Right, exactly. Right, like, he, he's the agitator. He does the dirty work. His contributions, as we saw, I would imagine Dennis Rodman had a number of games where he had more flagrant fouls than points, but still contributing, you know, the same way that Roy Keane does with uh, the yellow cards more than the goals or the assists. It's, it's an essential part of any championship team. So I think he's probably the best of the Man United players from that era that fall under the threshold of too good to guy. Like he is right up against it. But I do think he uh, does not cross that barrier into too good to guy. Every championship team's gonna have someone on there that that fits in. You know, I'm not trying to hold Man United success against him, and I appreciate the two of you, the three of you, really, for helping me put into that perspective. With that, I will say I think I personally am in favor of Roy Keane. I don't know if either of the two of you have any final comments. I am also in favor of Roy Keane. Uh, I love Roy Keane. I just want to make sure. I want to make sure I didn't miss it. Did we talk about the Holland incident? I was going to save that for if you said, "Oh, maybe," because after this injury he had, he wanted to get revenge on Holland. As Holland then stood over his body whilst he was on the floor injured, shouting, "Get up!" at him, literally shouting at him to get up. So Roy Keane thought, "Oh, I'm going to get my revenge." A two-foot tackle on his knee, ending his career. This then, as some of you may know, many years later, Erling Haaland was playing for Borussia Dortmund, got linked to both teams, and chose to play Man City over Man United because of this incident. That's why he chose Man City over Man United, because of Roy Keane injuring his dad all them years ago. Yes. If you're choosing between two teams to play for, and your options are the team that your dad played for when his career was ended, or the team of the player that ended your dad's career. And has oil money. <laughs> and has oil yeah. money. Or no, other one <laughs> has oil money. Yeah. Other one has oil no, the, the one that it, he, his dad, yeah. Alf, played for a city before they had oil money. Yeah. But They now have oil money. A lot of it as well. Well, let me try and and put this back in Keane's good side. All of that time to parent clearly had a positive effect (laughs) on the soccer career of his son. All of that extra time at home really Uh, seems to have produced an excellent player for Man City. Yeah, and he is now doing very, very well. If 
he goes on scoring like this, if he stays in the Premier his whole career, as he is now, and scoring like he will, I think he's probably going to pass Rooney, at least, in the Premier League all-time club scorers. He's, I think, third or fourth. I'm not too sure whereabouts he is on, this, on that list. But he is very high up in the list, and he could beat it. He's got 50 already. <laughs> yeah. In two seasons, I believe. Yeah, 50 and 50 games. It's ridiculous. Yeah. 50 and 50 is insane. How unbreakable is the all-time goal record? Is it a... It's by like Alan Shearer, and it's 265 goals. I think it's 265. Oh, he can do that. Oh, Holland can do that, yeah. It was... Harry Kane was getting close, which is why the transfer to Bayern Munich was, like, so perfectly timed from this Jordy's perspective. Yeah. Get him out of there. We don't... Yeah. Let, let, let the record stand at least a few more until Holland builds up towards it. Yeah. But, no, I, want, I wanted to bring that up just because, like... I think like that encapsulates Roy Keane so much and also just how unrepentant he was afterwards because I, I have the quotes up and immediately afterwards he said, I'd waited long enough. I fucking hit him hard. The ball was there. Take that, you. We can't say it on this side of the pond, but it is the C word. And don't you ever stand over me sneering about fake injuries. Uh, and then later went on, my attitude was, fuck him. What goes around comes around. He got his just rewards. He fucked me over. And my attitude is an eye for an eye. Happy Roy Keane. That's all I can say. Happy <laughs> Roy Keane. He'll do whatever the fuck he wants. A guy for a guy makes the whole world blind. <laughs> but yeah, in, in short, I am a yes on Roy Keane. I'm glad you said that before. Because now I can say that he was also manager of Sunderland. Had to make sure that you voted you, you yeah. voted yes before we. Sunderland <laughs> <laughs> were shit under him. No, he, he took them to the Premier League before no, he sucked. No, 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 no. Yeah, that's what I mean. He set the uh, what? What's the word? He brought them hope so that now they can toil in the championship. <laughs> well, if all three of us are positive, then Diaz, I think the ball is in your court. That's that's a basketball one again for you, my friend. We're we're back to the basketball one, and you know it somewhat harkens back to our episode where we discussed Hoosiers and some film inaccuracies, and now we kind of come back full circle where we are discussing the inspiration behind everybody's favorite vulgar former captain of AFC Richmond, Roy Kent. We're not worried about Roy Kent though. We're worried about the man that inspired him. We're worried about the man who is always going to go in with two cleats up. We're worried about the man who is as classic an Irishman as you could ever hope for in the Premier League. And really, I think we are inducting him because we are scared that he would cleat us himself if we didn't induct him. Uh, so before he comes sliding in with a questionable challenge, let there be no question. Roy Keane is a guy. Welcome into the Hall of Guy, Roy Keane. It shall not be challenged the only card we have for you is an invitation into this hall. Welcome indeed. And it has been so nice to welcome you, Leon, here. Awesome. It's it like it is very flattering that since I got to genuinely favorite thing in the world is going to a baseball game with someone that's never been to a baseball game before, <laughs> who is like ready to enjoy baseball. It's literally just the best thing in the world. And I had a blast with that. And it's been so nice uh, having you keep in touch with the three of us and enjoy the show since then. Uh, so thank you for coming on, man. Thank you for inviting me from all of you. Hopefully, I can talk to you guys all again soon. And 
hopefully be on again. I have an idea for something we'll be able to include you with in the near future. But for today, thank you so much for being on. Thank you to my co-host and our very special guest for joining me along with producer Craig, who keeps everything rolling, and the coders who keep him rolling. Uh, and of course, thank you to our musical director, Don Ham for that lovely theme music. But above all, listeners, thank you for joining us once again. Uh, hey, if you want to help us like Anthony Santander, grow that international fame, be sure, you know, rate and review the show, share us with a friend, tell them they can find everything about this show at bit.ly slash remember that guy, all one word, all lowercase. We will have another phenomenal episode for you next week. And in the meantime, we will have all of our guys of the day on Discord and Blue Sky. We got a couple more special things before we kick the next season off. So we sure do hope that you will join us that next week. Any final parting words from anyone here before we go? Nothing for me. Then until you all do join us next time, I am glad to say that I have been one of your hosts, James. I've been the American special guest, Xavier. I've been the Englishman from across the pond. who's been very... Happy to enjoy this time with you, Leon. And thank you for listeners for tuning in with us. Thank you for joining us, Leon. I've been Diaz and James. While my Eagles will be struggling next week, I got to congratulate your Ravens on clinching that all important first round guy. <laughs> <laughs> Drew